everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. Uh, we are available to view uh, on or listen to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Uh, search Uncommon Comedy Podcast, and you can watch us on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, on Facebook, at Uncommon Comedy, on Instagram, at Uncommon Comedy Tour, and YouTube, Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I'm excited uh, for today's guest because um, he is a, uh, a world-renowned uh, ventriloquist, and anyone who knows me uh, knows that there's two things in life that turn me into an eight-year-old kid. Uh, one is the Harlem Globetrotters. The other is a ventriloquist. So uh, I don't want to waste any time, more time. Let's bring him in, Mr. David Pendleton. David, how are you today, sir? How are you? I am well. Uh, my first question is, can you dribble a basketball? How I good are you? No, I cannot. I'm okay. horrible at basketball. <laughs> so, so we'll skip out the Harlem Globetrotters and we'll yeah. just go, we'll stick yeah, with right. the uh, ventriloquism. Yeah. So, so um, one of the things that uh, I, was, I was watching a, a lot of your act, uh, one of the things that I really love is the... Um, the skill involved in in um, what you do and the ability to to manipulate. Uh, I'm very big into voices. Um, the, the ability to to manipulate voices and characters and switch on a dime and all while while maintaining such um, you know a, a straight face without the the lip movement and it's your your technique is is really really good and uh, I just enjoy you know, seeing that kind of high level execution of, of such a, a skill that most people don't realize how hard that is to pull off. And so I just tip my hat to you that you're, well, you're an incredible performer. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, yeah. You know, right back at you, Brian, I'm just amazed at uh, your, you know, ability to do impressions and celebrity voices and uh, the various characters that you pull off. <laughs> Uh, that is a whole other skill level that I frankly uh, have never been good at. Uh, but I love how well you do the characters that you do. Well, thank uh, you. Isn't that always interesting, though? There's always one sort of skill. Right. Like, you know, you're never like you could be really good at one skill and you're like, man, but I can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I can do voices, but oh, I can't sing, or I can't do ventriloquism, or I can't. You know, there's so many things, and you just, for some reason, you go, man, if I could only do that, it would be so much better. So, well, um, I've I've said to people, yep, I'm pretty much a one trick pony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much have my thing, and you know, being in this uh, pandemic Corona situation uh, has really just reminded me that. You know, as I thought about, oh my goodness, what if, what if the new normal is radical, such that I find myself not being able to get back to work on stage performing? Mm -hmm. uh, what on earth am I going to do? And, right, and that totally intimidates me because I just feel like, okay, this is what I do. I don't know what I'm too old to start something new. <laughs> so. I. I totally, I totally feel you on that. But have you thought about like kind of what you do? Because that's something that a couple of comics and I have been talking about. Like, what is this new normal going to be like? And I yeah. think this medium is going to be kind of part of that. Um, have yeah, you looked I, into I, any of this? Of course. And you know, I watch uh, podcasts and uh, different things. And there's a lot of stuff out there uh, where people are just you know, they're bored. So they start 
their own podcast and they throw it out there. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of noise, frankly, that exists yes. out there. Uh, and which we are adding to at this very moment. So. <laughs> I know, but, but, you know, you want to do things with excellence and you want it to be interesting and you want to be able to hold people's attention. Uh, but not just for the sake of holding their attention, you want to actually offer something that people will value and, mm -hmm. um, and enjoy that, that it will have uh, a sense of meaning, you know, to right. So I appreciate that that's what, you know, you're trying to do the, the whole idea of the uncommon, uncommon comedy podcast and the uncommon comedy tour is all about, uh, creating content that everybody can enjoy uh, you know, you're not wanting to, of course, get into the gutter with what is so prevalent in, right. um, in comedy, especially in clubs. And, you know, it seems like it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous that, uh, people are doing comedy that, you know, say, well, I'm just being real. And it's like, yeah, but do we, do you really have to go there? Right. Uh, and, and, um, so I appreciate the fact that you're wanting to provide content that is for for a, a broad audience. But, you know, what I like to do and what I feel like is my audience as a performer on stage is the whole family. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that I am really in my element when I look out into the audience and I see grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and kids and grandkids all sitting and watching the show together. And of course, I I try to offer something that will be entertaining to everybody, uh, which is a challenge. And it's certainly something that you don't see in the comedy world. You know, they're pretty much shooting at the very adult audience. Right. And, um, and, and I think it's a much bigger challenge to try to create content that, the whole family can enjoy together. But frankly, that's what I look for. You know, I someday I don't have grandkids yet. You know, I'm not like John Branion, our, <laughs> our friend John Branion, uh, you know, who already has like a whole passel of grandkids. Uh, I have two sons, uh, neither of which are married yet. But, you know, one day I would love to be able to sit down with the whole family, including the grandkids, and, and watch entertaining stuff together. Um, but that's hard to find. But right. And I was uh, actually, I had um, Leland Clausen on uh, the podcast, a very funny comedian. And that was my, my comment to him was his act works, whether, you know, um, it, it works and it's not play. He's not playing down to like eight year olds or anything yeah, like that. Exactly. He's just doing his act, but it works on so many different levels. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with uh, the uncommon comedy, uh, you know, and while, kids may not necessarily understand certain things we talk about. Right. Right. I do voices. I'm big and goofy on stage and they yeah. like that. So, I mean, yeah. we try to have a, a level that, you know, at least you're, you're comfortable, you know, that you can bring them and they're not going to, you're not going to have any weird conversations afterwards. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And then I, I like that. We also try to touch in on uh, charity uh, as well. It's a, a really big thing for us uh, to, to try to encourage too. So, yeah. um, but as far as the, you know, going with the future, have you thought about maybe doing a ventriloquist, uh, like podcast? There's yeah. one for like voice actors. That's a really popular one yeah. where they get all these voice actors on and they talk about the craft and they talk about the industry and that might be something. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, I, it intimidates me. I'll just be quite honest with you. It really intimidates me to think about starting something like that because, um, you know, number one, I would want to put it out there and have it be something that is uh, valuable, that, mm-hmm. uh, that people would really be interested in watching and listening to, and that would actually have real value to it. Um, and so that just feels like a tall order to me. Uh, and I, I suppose like so many performers, I'm a bit of a perfectionist uh, to the point that it immobilizes me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's what that's the that's the problem with perfectionism is that you're never going to get there. Right. So then you're you're defeated before you even get started. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I've certainly thought about it. Um, and frankly, being involved in podcasts like yours uh, just pushes me along. Uh, nice. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that the, it's it's. There's a lot of uh, interesting tools we can talk about it after the show that maybe make it a, a little easier to do. But yeah. I think that would be a great podcast. I, I know I'd certainly listen, but uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm a bit biased. So sure. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about um, you and your career. So. How did you, what, what inspired you to, to uh, start performing? Okay. I started learning ventriloquism when I was six years old. Wow. Uh, I got a little Charlie McCarthy doll from my grandparents, uh, but it, they, they didn't come up with the idea. I really wanted that. Um, and the reason I wanted it was because as a kid, I was captivated by puppets of all sorts on you know all the television shows that had puppets on it. Uh, totally captivated me. So Captain Kangaroo, you know, had Mr. Moose and the rabbit and, you know, these different puppets. And certainly there were the Muppets and Sesame Street out there. And so I was at a friend's house. He had one of those ventriloquist, uh, you know, what people call ventriloquist dummies with the slot jaw mouth. And I was captivated by that and really wanted one. And so it was my grandparents that got me that. But then they also got me a record called Instant Ventriloquism by Jimmy Nelson. Mm-hmm. And back in the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, Jimmy Nelson was on television and uh, most notable uh, doing commercials for Nestle's. And uh, he had two characters in his act, Danny O'Day and Farfel the Dog. And Danny O'Day in these Nestle's commercials would sing... N-E-S-T-L-E-S, Nestle's makes the very best. And then Farkle would say, chocolate. (laughs) And so uh, that's his claim to fame. And he started, he made a record, an actual LP record album, put it out there. And all the ventriloquists that I know of in my era, you know, that are kind of my contemporaries, we all learned off that same record album. He spawned a whole new generation of ventriloquists. This includes guys like Jeff Dunham and uh, Terry Fader. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we all learned off that same record album. Oh, that's funny. Um, so from six years old, you started uh, practicing. Do you remember your first show? Yeah, I did a talent show. The, the record album came with a script and I memorized the script verbatim. And uh, I did a little six minute bit uh, when I was eight years old in a talent show for the Cub Scouts. And I remember being on stage and the MC was out in front of the curtain inter- to introduce me. And then they opened the curtain and I was on stage with my little uh, Charlie McCarthy doll. And I just remember thinking that was so cool. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like the curtain opened and there was the audience and there I was. And uh, that just captured me. And so I did my little, you know, routine, uh, which was nothing original at all about it. But, um, you know, that's how I got started. And then I started developing new material. And I remember it was my grandmother that worked with me and coming up with jokes, and, <laughs> you know, silly little songs and that sort of thing as an eight, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old. Wow. That's, so. that's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool to be writing material i mean yeah at that age it's that it's age, uh, yeah. it's pretty impressive i'm not saying that it was good material <laughs> <laughs> no but at least to to have the you know the ability to come up with something original you know and to expand it to, to even yeah. know and that you weren't just reciting the same um pattern do you, do you call it pattern or is it just yeah, yeah i suppose it's a routine routine yeah, <laughs> yeah just Kind of blending in with the magician world there for yeah, a second yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, you know, they're what they do. They get very upset if you don't call it patter. So <laughs> I've, I I know far too many magicians. Yeah. Uh, so magicians and ventriloquists are kind of like second cousins. You know, there's there's a lot of crossover. Because I learned magic when I was a kid too. Like I was mm -hmm. captivated by that. And it does seem very common that ventriloquists and magicians um, had that similar. Interest and it, I think it makes sense too because as a ventriloquist, you are creating magic. You're mm -hmm. wanting to convince the audience that this character uh, that you're talking to is real, and there's right. a magic that you're creating when you do that. Actually, David Copperfield wanted to become a ventriloquist. Huh. A very fun story. I had the opportunity to sit down and have dinner. Uh, it's going to sound like I'm name dropping because I am name dropping. <laughs> Actually, David Copperfield had a mentor that was also my mentor. Um, that, but uh, this guy's name's Andre Cole, uh, mentored Copperfield long before he met me. But then uh, I came along and actually was in a relationship, a mentor relationship with uh, Andre Cole. So uh, I was in Las Vegas. Uh, Andre and his wife, Kathy, and my wife and I uh, were spending some time together in Las Vegas, and we went and saw David Copperfield's show. And then Copperfield, of course, who uh, is very close with Andre Cole, said, well, you know, let's all go to dinner. So we all uh, got to go to dinner, and uh, it was really interesting. I thought I'd just be listening in on this conversation between Andre and, um, and David Copperfield, but he had a lot of questions for me. Hmm. And he told me that he wanted to be a ventriloquist, but he just was no good at it. And so I looked at him and I said, so I guess I'm kind of living your dream. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully he laughed at that. Yeah. Of course the man is a bazillionaire. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it is common that ventriloquists uh, kind of dabble in magic and, and vice versa. Uh, magicians will often dabble in ventriloquists. As a matter of fact, David Copperfield has a little character in his show, it's a little alien character, recorded voice, but it's this anima animatronic character that he uses in his show, uh, which is kind of like, you know, a ventriloquist routine. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah. That's funny. So uh, now ventriloquism seems like such a, a difficult skill to to really get down. How long did it take uh, practicing before, and how much were you practicing before it started to like click for you? 
Uh, I think since I started when I was young, um, it's not like it was this profound effort for me. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, it came to me somewhat naturally. Um, and only now, looking back, do I think, yeah, that was that was God's grace. <laughs> yeah, life. it was just that was a gift. Uh, and I'm guessing the same is probably true of you, Brian. That for you, um, you know, doing uh, impressions mm -hmm. uh, probably was just something that you started messing around with, and it just happened naturally for you. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, it was weird. I went to I was in high school and. Um, I was around Dane Cook was in the, I went to the same school as Dane Cook for a while okay. and he was Dane Cook even then. And everyone was like messing around and doing voices and I wanted to be part of the the group yeah. and I could do this like really terrible, like baby Kermit the frog from the Muppet babies and this really bad inspector gadget. And then after that, I just started hearing, not hearing voices, but understanding how voices work. Yeah, <laughs> There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. And so then uh, that's when it started to kind of click in for me. And that's when I just, that's when I learned that I had this uh, this gift of uh, being able to hear things. That was my my blessing. So uh, I just started to work. Thought, and maybe you have done some fill in work, but I've often thought, uh, you know, for some of these voices, like you know, who does Homer Simpson? Who's the voice? Uh, Dan Castellaneta. Okay, yeah, I I knew that. I just couldn't call it out. Yeah. Um, you know, like if he got laryngitis or something, I've often thought. Good grief! They could call you, and you could fill in, and people wouldn't even know. Mm. I, I uh, have you ever done that kind of work, like film I, work? Like I've, or? I've offered. <laughs> you have. They make uh, three hundred thousand dollars an episode. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but there was actually a, a period of time when um, Harry Shearer was uh, leaving the show, and um, uh, The Simpsons, and they were like. So I put out a video and doing these voices and yeah. um, they, they basically were like, Hey, you know, uh, Morgan Spurlock retweeted it to the exact saying, Hey, looks like we found our guy for the on deck circle and all that. And so it was kind of a, it was kind of a fun little uh, few months there of, you know, maybe something will happen, but uh, he ended up returning and oh, I, see. I see. Yeah. The, Cause they said, we're not bringing anyone in for, um, to audition uh, because our first goal is to get him to come back. And so uh, they, there was like a four month window of just sitting around waiting and hoping that, you know, he sure. would stay out. And <laughs> so <laughs> he didn't, but uh, yeah, I, I've also reached out to, uh, I think universal to do like uh, some Snape stuff uh, for the Harry Potter, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but I haven't heard back from them, but I should follow up. No, but. no kidding. Yeah. See, I, I just feel like that you would be a shoe in for that kind of thing because yeah, I mean, what you do is very unique and you are very good at it. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know who the voice of Tigger was the original Tigger. I, I should know this. Um, <laughs> well, the voice was Paul Winchell. Okay. And so Paul Winchell was, uh, a, a celebrated and very successful ventriloquist. Hmm. And uh, his main character was Jerry Mahoney, and he also had Knucklehead Smith, uh, who was kind of the dopey, you know, uh, right. for Jerry Mahoney. And um, brilliant, brilliant ventriloquist, amazing skill, um, but he was tapped to do the voice of Tigger. And if you, if you watch, you know, YouTube 
clips of Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney, you totally hear Tigger. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. He, there he is. Uh, but of course, Tigger was its own unique character. It's not like, you know, it was totally like Jerry Mahoney is Tigger. You know? Right. You can hear the the timbre and the, mm-hmm. and the nuances in, in, uh, in the voice. Oh, that's funny. So, so yeah, there's a, a voice actor connection with ventriloquism right there in terms of a very successful character that was created for Disney in uh, Tigger. Wow. But, uh, I thought of that because of course, you know, when Paul Winchell passed away, um, you know, now who's going to be Tigger and right. who it is needs to be able to do Paul Winchell's Tigger. Yeah, you know, you need to be able to imitate right that voice and to do it well because that's the voice we expect. Right. Character. Although I I've, I've seen it a, a lot uh just from being interested in this this world that it the voice definitely evolves even for someone as famous as uh Kermit the Frog from Jim Henson down to Brian Henson. Yes. You know, just you know because it's it's so hard to to match exactly. and same with, you know, Winnie the Pooh's changed, Tigger's changed, you know, Marvin the Martian. Like, especially yeah. when Mel Blanc passed away, there's so many characters have to change. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but, but uh, you have to keep the essence. And, yeah. that's, and, and that, of course, is I'm sure what you have to focus on as, as a vocal impressionist uh, mm-hmm. is that you are capturing the essence. It doesn't yes. have to be absolutely perfect, but you have to, the, to get the essence, the, the main thrust of who this character is. Um, well, as you said before, that perfectionist, you know, you know, it's going to be absolutely, you know, I always strive for that, but uh, at some point you have to go, ah, that's good enough. People. Well, know. yeah. Except <laughs> in your case, I feel like you do, uh, you know, get just doggone near perfect in terms of the, uh, you know, what you accomplish. But I know that, you know, for vocal impressions, you know, I remember, you know, the big classic that was uh, everybody knew, you know, in my era growing up was rich little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the voices that he did, they weren't spot on, but he captured the eff- essence of that character or of that celebrity and their personality. And so, you know, it was like, yeah, there he is. That's you captured it. Well, right. And here's what, well, here's what's interesting uh, with regard to that is sometimes an impression uh, will become standardized. Uh, so if you look at, for example, Dana Carvey. Okay. You know, and you look at it's George Bush or yeah. whatever that's exaggerated. And it's not, if you're, if you're to listen, you go, that's not George Bush, but <laughs> you get the hair and you get, the, you know, whatever. And yeah. you get, again, the mannerisms, the, the, the essence of him. And then that becomes the accepted norm of what that impression is. And so yeah. then people start doing that impression. They right. do an impression of Dana Carvey's impression. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, and it was like that with Bill Cosby, and it's you know it's like that you know we started doing Eddie Murphy's impression of Bill Cosby, and you yeah. know where if yeah. you sit and actually listen, you go, that's yeah. not quite right, but yeah. it's but well, it's just like I, I like to I love to watch Jimmy Fallon do Jerry Seinfeld, right? Uh, you know he just captures you know his delivery so well, uh, yeah. but of course you know you that's clearly Jimmy Fallon doing Jerry Seinfeld, you know, when you hear it. Well, it's also easier to learn an impression watching someone else do an impression. Well, that's true. Yeah. Makes because sense. you, you see the things that they're, um, 
they focus in on the the little details that they go, oh, okay, you know, like for Trump, it's, you know, the hands or whatever, or it's the lips or, um, or you know, whatever, whoever the, the case, you know, the impression is, and you say, oh, they're really emphasizing that, so that's standing out. And so then you just kind of zone in on that and go, well, I can do that. And then you start putting the puzzle together with the the face, the the expressions, the voice, and the, the hand movement, and you go, okay, that's, yeah. So that's a little lesson for people who want to know about some totally. stuff. Do you feel like that you have like what you would consider to be your signature impression? Like that this is this is my favorite to do. This is what I'm most requested to do. This is kind of my signature. Uh, I would say Homer, uh, and then my is probably the signature. Yeah, um, Homer Simpson, and then I would um, guess, but I didn't want to suggest that. I just i I figured that that would. Well, I spent, honestly, I spent like 10 years trying to get it. Huh. I was like really close for 10 years, just sitting there. I'm like, oh, I'm so close. I'm so, you know, and then I saw him do it in person and I got to see the way his mouth moved. Uh, and I was like, oh, I have you now. And now I know what you're all about, mister. You know, like, because it changes, as you know, um, like, uh, or when you watch James Earl Jones speak, he pulls his mouth back on certain words. And as you know, the shape of the mouth and the muscles and the tongue and all of that change the, the yeah. every, you know, it, it all changes the sound and everything. So, and it also helps the face kind of, um, you start to look, you take over that person's essence yeah. and just kind of comes through you a little harder for me now with the facial paralysis to, to get some of that. Um, <laughs> So that's why you know I stick with cartoons. It's a lot easier, uh, but um, but yeah. So the the Homer was you know much more of that, and then Snape. Um, I just kind of was messing around one day, uh, Alan Rickman, and I was doing um, Doctor Evil from um, Austin Powers movies, and uh, you know the one million dollars, you know, and I just started to like mess with that, and I was like, kind of has the same cadence, and so. If yeah. you, if you take Dr. Evil and turn it down and turn it down and turn it down, you are left with Alan Rickman. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. All I want are some sharks with frickin' lasers. But my cycloptic friend says that's not possible. You know, like, it's it just... <laughs> so it's basically, it's, it's Dr. Evil just brought down. Yeah, brought down, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, and then you know you learn the same things with the when a, a voice actor does multiple voices. So like Jim Henson was Ernie, and he was Kermit the Frog, and those are both very similar. So like you start to go, oh, and so you can build out your your repertoire pretty quickly by just changing little aspects of it. Yeah. Anyway, enough about me. This is not about <laughs> fascinates me. Oh, it, it totally fascinates me. And like I said, I. I've never really uh, gone for it in terms of, you know, it's not been a passion of mine. People ask me a lot. Oh, do you do vocal impressions? I bet you're really good at that, whatever, because right. I do character voices. And, you know, but the answer is no, I don't. I can talk without moving my lips, but I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a vocal impressionist at all. Yeah. and I, Well, and I've started to, to really deep dive on into it during this uh, pandemic. <clears throat> so finding out, you know, how to, how to move the larynx, you know, up or down and what does that do to the voice and how to, you know, uh, dealing with the soft palate and dealing with, you know, um, you know, the, <laughs> your vocal cords and how to tighten them and how to, you know, yeah. like I know how to do them instinctively, 
Yes. Uh, you know, like as, as most of us do. Right. You know, they're not thinking about. But even know, even like, regards to yeah, even with regards to voices, you go okay. It's kind of this is more nasally, so let me you know do a little more nasal. Uh, yeah. So, you you know, you have those things, but then to sit there and like try to break it down and go, OK, so if I do this, it's this movement. And if I can do this on command, it'll change this to my voice. And then I'll be able to because I've been trying to do a Gilbert Gottfried impression forever. And yeah. uh, I, everybody does Gilbert. I know, but it's it's <laughs> such a good voice to do. Uh, it, is, it is. Yeah. So, OK, because, lay, lay it on me. Let me. Uh, lay it's, it. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's not ready yet. So okay, fair enough. I get it's, it. It's not even close, but I'm just saying like, I, I, that's the one, that's the, the two that I've been dying to do that I can't do is Gilbert Gottfried and um, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, cause if I could do those, I would just talk like that all the time. And I think my <laughs> wife is very lucky and she's very fortunate that, uh, and she's very happy that I can't do those because that would drive her insane. I'm sure. Doesn't but, Alan, when he does Gilbert Gottfried, doesn't he always cover one eye? or something like i think that. so yeah it's to do that like squint yeah he just exactly. he's always squinting and always squinting yeah <laughs> yeah i i try to do it but you have to do it in a way that doesn't just ravage your your vocal cords oh, and... yeah, yeah that's exactly right yeah there's a couple characters that i use in my act which utilize that more pinched voice or mm -hmm. that you know that gravelly and i find that i just have to be careful that i can't overdo it even in my act because uh i'm my voice will just be toast right you know? by the end of the night and if i'm called on to do you know two shows in an evening i'm i'm done so. <laughs> yeah exactly and especially if you're in the middle of you know doing a week of performances or back-to-back yeah. -back yeah, shows right. over the course of a couple of nights it's that's right you have yeah. to really take care of that oh my goodness yeah and guys like uh you know uh uh well i just said his name uh, uh oh for heaven's sake jimmy Fallon. No, well yeah that's the one that's coming oh. to my head right now but that's not <laughs> who i'm thinking of uh, one America's Got Talent uh, working in Vegas. Oh, um, um, Terry um, Fader. Terry yes. Fader, the Greek. Why did that fall out of my head? <laughs> Terry Fader, you know, the guys like that who are literally one or two shows a night in Vegas. Like, yeah. that's insane. Six nights a week. So, you six know? nights, yes. Yes. So, it's, so, so how do you, um, how did, was it for you? Um, getting into to all of this and and growing up through it like yeah, you know so, go through teen years and right yeah so so you know people come up to me and they'll say oh i've always wanted to do what you do and my response to them is i can't relate to you at all because <laughs> and, and here's what i mean by that i haven't always wanted to do what i do i've always just done what i do mm. you know what I mean? uh in other words i just got started early enough that i was too naive or uh just uninformed to, to know that I couldn't do it or, or to think that I couldn't do it. Um, and so, or, so I just started it slowly and it just evolved over time. And then I discovered, Oh, wow, look, I can do this. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, as, like I said, I did my first show when I was eight and then I started to develop an act, and then I was doing birthday parties. But you have to remember, I'm nine, ten years old. I'm just a kid, with right? And you know, so it's a novelty. You know, I'm this redheaded kid in in the small town, and you know, let's hire him to come do and pay him twenty bucks to come do a little a little fifteen minute show at the birthday party. And and I'm thinking this is really fun. 
And I'm taking it quite seriously, at, at, even at that age. Like I would get dressed. I was concerned about my wardrobe and, uh, you know, all of that presentation. But then when I got to high school, I really got serious about it, uh, or at least, you know, more serious. Mm-hmm. And um, it was fun because at our high school, we always had a talent show every year, the big, you know, the big annual talent show in the high school. And I, you know, started my freshman year and discovered that I could do insult humor because a ventriloquist can totally get away with, you know, right. insulting, you know, the various uh, teachers and administrators because I didn't say that. It was the puppet. That said right. It. And it's also kind of part and parcel with what happens with ventriloquism. The whole idea is that, you know, this this character is out of your control and, and saying, you know, quote unquote, inappropriate things or right. it's, you know, being, um, being inappropriately um, uh, insulting. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, and, and a lot of it, the humor that you do is there is that the, the puppet actually insults the ventriloquist. And of course that's funny because I'm literally insulting myself when I do that. Uh, that's what makes you laugh, though, because you're you're realizing that okay, that's just funny. That here's this puppet that's giving him a hard time, and I'm starting to believe that that puppet's really giving him a hard time. Right. <laughs> so, um, so in high school, then that was always a very popular um, addition. You know, people by my senior year, people were totally looking forward to. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait to see what Pendleton is going to pull out this year as he uh, roasts the various teachers and personalities in the school. So I started to learn about things like that, things like roasts. And, you know, this was back in the day when there were the celebrity roasts that were on television. And that's when the roasts were well done. They were, you know, done in good taste and it was, and it was, um, uh, acceptable by everyone. Right. What I recently saw something on comedy central that was a celebrity roast. And I was frankly appalled. I don't know if you've seen any recent celebrity roast. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Like it's just crossed the line into downright mean. Right. And uh, there's a difference. And I realized that sometimes it's hard for people to find that line. Interestingly enough, I recently did a show for a group of college students, and some of the feedback that I got was that they thought that the little guy on my knee was a little bit of a bully. (laughs) That sounds about right for colleges. Yeah, you know, people talk about, you know, the snowflake generation, and and I was rather taken aback by that because it was like, well, no, that's kind of, that's kind of the point in ventriloquism is that the character is supposed to be a little bit um, playful in regard to that. But I understand too, that, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. Right. You have to figure out, you know, okay, where do you, where do you cross the line or, or where is that line? But um, okay. What was the, what was the original question? <laughs> we were just talking about how you were progressing through and, and having it become a little more serious for you. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, basically when I got to college, I landed a job at Kings Island in Cincinnati, which is a theme park um, in the Midwest and um, doing shows. 
and I did a, a little 15 minute show uh, every hour, mm-hmm. um, six days a week. And as far as I was concerned, I was living the dream at that point. But it was also at that time that I started to develop my chops and to think more carefully about crafting an act and what works and what doesn't work and you know what's going to hit a home run every time. And when you are literally able to do six shows a day, six days a week, wow, you can work on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it wasn't killing me because it was it was just fifteen or twenty minutes. So it's not like I was doing six full full acts. Right. I was just doing, and I was doing a lot. You know, the same material over and over, which meant that I was, I had it completely down cold. And I learned the value of that. Uh, you know, when you have an act, if it's down cold where you can literally do it in your sleep, then that's when you can start honing and tweaking all the little subtle nuances in presentation. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, I was going to ask you about this a little bit later, but uh, we're on it now. So one of those things is, is uh, as you said, is kind of insult humor, but it, or crowd work is, as comics know it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the tips uh, for or keys to, to good crowd work? Oh, um, wow. Um, I always, I always have audience participation in my show. Uh, it, it keeps, it keeps things, it keeps people's, um, it kind of has people on, on their ed, on edge, mm-hmm. on, uh, on the edge of their seat, you know, like, Oh, he might choose me, you know, magicians mm-hmm. do this too, all the time. Um, but you know, the key is, is of course to, be respectful, to be polite, but, you know, to know where the line is in in terms of what is going to cross over and might be perceived as being mean or unkind. So I don't know how else to answer that question. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also have a little bit of leeway because uh, like you said, of the voices, um, I have a, a friend of mine from South Africa and he can be as mean and as cruel but because of that accent, it's hysterical. <laughs> but if I were to say it, they'd be like, you're a jerk. Yeah. You know, like, but he gets away. So I, I think it's probably like that too. With oh, the, It's totally like that. Yeah. The characters can totally get away with stuff that I could never get away with as, if I was doing a stand-up comedy act or I was just doing, you know, I was just by myself. <laughs> absolutely no way. Now, um, it doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of mentors out there, but what was the, uh, for, for, for that, at least during the pre-internet, um, what was the best advice you ever received about uh, comedy or performing? Well, I started to attend a ventriloquist convention when I was 13 years old. And so uh, I started to learn a lot of the uh, elements of ventriloquism and building a ventriloquist act. Uh, through watching and attending, uh, of course, workshops and, and uh, plenary sessions, that, and that sort of thing at the ventriloquist convention. And by the way, okay, I started going when I was 13. There was also another young man there that was uh, in his teens. He was a couple years older than me. He's 15 years old at the time. A guy by the name of Jeff Dunham also <laughs> attending this ventriloquist convention. So 
there's always been a, a pretty tight community of ventriloquists, mm. which has really been uh, a fun community thing uh, to feel like, yeah, I pretty much know or have met or have some interaction with just about every ventriloquist that's out there, uh, certainly the ones that attend the convention. So there's something about that community that is just really special. But that, it, that departs a little bit from your question. Your question had more to do with, um, what did your question have more to do with? Writing uh, material. Your best advice about comedy or performing uh, or ventriloquism. Yeah. Um, so I would say the most practical best advice, and I'm guessing that probably every comic that you ask this question says the same thing. Record yourself and then watch the recording. Mm. It's one thing to just record it. It's another thing to actually have to watch the recording. And that is painful to do. Uh, but I think that has helped me like no other thing, a single thing has helped me in terms of honing um, that craft. And that has to do with even um, how are you doing in terms of how are the laughs? Because when you're on stage, sometimes you think you're getting, you know, you're doing really well. But when you watch the recording, you realize, oh, yeah, that actually didn't get the response. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work at all. The recording doesn't lie. And you have to be willing to watch the recording and painful as it is recognize that reality is our friend. I have a friend that used to say that all the time. Mm. Reality is our friend. Uh, and the truth is sometimes hard <laughs> to face. <laughs> but when you watch that, you you go, okay, so, all right, that's, that's what happened. I thought it, gosh, I thought it was better than that. But <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, was being a little too optimistic. Uh, <laughs> But I see now what I need to do. Um, and it's a myriad of things. But when you watch yourself, you, you know, you can figure it out. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you, you watch yourself do things. You go, oh, my gosh, I do that. I didn't mm -hmm. even know I did that. That oh, nervous that tick. Annoying. Yes, exactly. Why do I do that? That's so annoying. So. I know. I always do this. I always go behind my ear for, yeah. for some reason. And I'm like, well, I don't have hair enough to like, I'm brushing my hair back. Like, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Thing. And it's always at the same point in the same joke. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird. I mean, if you know, sometimes you do that and it, you watch it, you think, yeah, that actually works. Yeah. And then sometimes it's just, it doesn't, add or, or uh, deduct anything from the, the act. And it's just a, I, I think originally it was like the subconscious thing to like try to make it look like I was thinking or, or something. I don't know what, it, and then it's just being, yeah, you're being a little, being a little casual or whatever. Yeah. It's so weird when you record yourself, what you see and then right. you go, okay, stop doing that. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Cause there's all kinds of things that you do that you had no idea that you did. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, Record yourself doing anything and you'll watch yourself and you go, oh my goodness, do I really do that? You know, and the answer is, yeah, we're there. Yep. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then you can, then that's a good way to focus on it. Um, so here's my favorite question. I love asking everybody. Uh, what is the worst show you've ever had? 
And probably like most people, they can call it up just like that. <laughs> I was invited to do an outreach event at a church in Texas. And the, the prior year they had had like the power team who had come and done their, um, you know, feats of strength and of course with loud music. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole different vibe. Right. Than a ventriloquist act. So right away, you know, I had some explaining to do that if they were going to compare what they had last year to what they're getting this year, they have to really recognize that these are two very different things. But what they did was set up a, it was an outdoor event. They set up a, a flatbed trailer as the stage and there were holes in that, which I could deal with that, but you know, like there's, it was rickety. They set it up with a highway, essentially, <laughs> but, but there was a, you know, like a country highway. In other words, that was traveled <laughs> yep. right behind me. And they had me do my show in the evening just as the sun is going down right there. <laughs> so I had trucks that, oh, and, and it was at an intersection. And so the trucks, of course, using air brake, brakes as they come to the stop sign. <laughs> and, and I'm looking out at the audience and they're all doing this because covering their eyes. Yep. Because the sun is right there at the time of my performance, right there in their eyes. It was just really, really bad planning on the part of the of the organizer. And when I got there, I realized that there was this was going to be a problem. And what I really wanted to do was say, okay, we need to move this flatbed truck over to the other side so that the sun will be in my eyes which will be, I'll be fine with that. I'll be well lit. <laughs> <laughs> but at least the sun is not in the audience's eyes. And the, you know, the distraction of the, of the uh, traffic behind me uh, won't be as big a deal. You know, like I, I really wanted to just basically undo and redo everything that they had worked so hard to put together. But there's no way I could do that. Right. Uh, and not only would it make me look prima donna, um, it was just not practical. So uh, that was just a really, really hard show. And it was just exactly what you would expect. It was just like very little audience response. They had, you know, so counted on this being this great outreach event where there's going to be people coming forward like a Billy Graham crusade. <laughs> oh. And they were going backwards. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things too. Uh, and even if you had switched the trailer and all of that, it's still outdoors. Right. Which is terrible for, yes. for comedy. Yes. Um, because the sound just goes straight up and it yeah. dissipates and the, yeah you as a performer don't hear it. It messes with your rhythm, messes yeah. with your timing, and you feel like you're not doing well. 
yes. the crowd feels like you're not doing well and whoever's organizing it doesn't hear the big laughter. So they're like, oh, this isn't going well. And even though people are enjoying it, it's, right. it's just not outdoors is, is terrible for comedy. So, uh, yeah, so this was not only outdoors, but it had all those other elements to it, compound, add insult to injury and just compound it. So <laughs> like, this was definitely the worst show ever. <laughs> <laughs> how long of a set? Do you remember how long of a set you had oh, to they do? They wanted me to do like a, like an hour. Oh. Uh, and I struggled through and probably got to maybe a 45 minute set. And, you know, you, you start to sense that, okay, we're done. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, people with their hands, you know, over their eyes and, you know, you can just feel that that this was a long enough show, but you feel like such a failure. Like, <laughs> you know, they'd done all the sense to get me out there, and, you know, and they talked it up real big and yeah. And environment makes all the difference in the world for performers. Yeah, well, yeah. particularly comedians, like you say. But then you got a guy like me who I'm not even like a stand-up comic where at least if I was a stand-up comic, I, I could take the microphone and I could do crowd work, as you say. Mm -hmm. I could go down into the audience and talk to people and get interaction. It's, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, this sort of thing. But as a ventriloquist doing ventriloquist act, you don't have that option open to you. It just isn't possible. You get people up on stage with you. Right. But you can't go down and work in the crowd, which is kind of, that's about the only thing that might have redeemed that. But for me, it wasn't possible. So, From experience, I can tell you that probably wouldn't have redeemed it. <laughs> it, just, it just makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just see the disappointment on their face up close. <laughs> yeah, up close and personal. Yeah. As they're looking at you going, yeah, no, no, no. Don't come yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Don't don't talk to me. I don't wanna I don't wanna be a part of this. It's and that's such a, a lonely, awful feeling. Yeah. Um uh, well and here's the thing, like you said, you, you don't want to be a prima donna, but you you want the show to be set up for success, you yeah. know. For their and, not yours, for their sake. Exactly. <laughs> And that's what I, I try to to say when when there's something it's it's like a balancing act of like you know, I want green M&Ms in my, you know, green room or whatever. But when I sit there and they say, hey, would you like to do this? I go, well, if we, you know, change this to this, this will be a much better experience. If we bring the chairs together instead of seating everyone in the back with a big dance floor, uh, you know, in between us, it'll be a much better experience for, for me and for the crowd. And it's going to make you look better. And yeah. that's because that's always the feel, especially like you said, they, they, they spend that expense to bring you out there to build it up and you want it to be a successful event for them. And I always say that during the time leading up, you know, how's this going to be laid out or whatever? And because I want this to look, I want you to look good. Yes. Sure. You know, and they're much more willing to listen um, when you, when you say that, uh, but sometimes you get there and it's just laid out in this really bizarre manner. And you're like, well, this is, here we go. <laughs> I got my deposit. I got the check. I'm good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. You have a I I have a writer that shows the very setup that you're describing with the dance floor and all of that. Mm -hmm. And there's an X. You know, not this. 
just to just to help them understand that this is not going to work for what I am doing for you. And and it and then of course I explain if you have you know, if you're later in the evening, you're planning to have a dance floor or, you know, a DJ or whatever, well then, yes, absolutely work with this, but we're going to have to make some accommodations here. Like you might have to have that set up on the other end of the room or, you know, figure out a way to make that happen. Right. Or maybe you set up all the chairs on the dance floor and you bring everybody in. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's the best scenario. It requires a little bit more work, but that is going to be a much more entertaining show for everybody. Absolutely. And yes. You're going to have to move some chairs around and that sort of thing that, that is going to create some issues, but it will be so worth it. But to, and we've all done it. I'm sure you have, you know, perform the empty dance floor. Oh yes. All these people that are way back there. There's no way you can make a connection. That's never them. good. Yeah, it's never good. We're uh, talking with David Pendleton, who's a ventriloquist, um, and you can check out his uh, act and his DVDs at anythingcantalk.com. That's anythingcantalk.com. Um, yeah, it's it's so funny how many um, little things like that just get in the way of, of a successful show. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, just put put the chairs uh, put the chairs on the floor. Like it's it's yeah. easier that way. Yeah. And uh, for those who are wondering, a writer is uh, basically something. And when you sign your contract, it's a, an addition of saying, "These are the terms that you know. These are the things I need uh, in order for the show, you know, for me to do the show." And yeah, and uh, big celebrities are kind of notorious for having these ridiculous writers that have all these little fine details, like you say, you know, uh, green M and M's only, you know, kind of ridiculous stuff. But yeah, you and I, of course, out there working as we are, you know, we want to provide a writer that will be practical. Right. Also make for a good show. So right. really the writer's not for me as much as it is for you. <laughs> Just to understand, you know, you as the as the right. hire. The Absolutely. And it's it's you know, sound, lights. Yeah. You it's know, for, for the standard yeah. and and somewhat reasonable location for, you know, Let's yeah. not be outside if it's going to be over 90 degrees. Let's, yeah. you know, let's. Exactly. <laughs> For uh -huh. everyone's sake, because no one wants to sit there in 90 degree heat and watch right. and watch a show. Even if people are miserable. Show. Yeah. If you want an angry crowd, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and I heard some people say the reason that they do um, like a specific thing, like the green M&Ms is to know that they read the writer. Yeah. So yeah. if they got the green M&Ms right, that means they did the other things needed. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I've heard that too. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to play games. I just, right. And I just talk through with them. And actually my wife handles, thankfully, I have, <laughs> I have a dear wife that is, that is a partner in this. And uh, she handles the booking and the contracts and all that, which is really fantastic. And she's so good at it. She's so good. Yeah. That's, that's not my realm at all either. I, I, I'm, I, that's the worst part. That's, I, that's where I say, that's where I make my money. <laughs> I perform for free, but it's all the other stuff. That's that's where you charge the money for. Well, and sometimes you show up in situations where there's just not a lot of control. Like I have done, uh, interestingly enough, quite a few shows inside of prisons, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's a situation where they do have a PA system, but they don't have a mic stand because they're used to, 
you know, somebody standing up there with a microphone and that's all they need. You know, they don't, I don't need a mic stand, but I need a mic stand because I have characters. Right. And so somebody will say, well, that's all right. I'll just hold it for you. It's like, no, 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 that's not going to work. I've actually had to fabricate a mic stand using duct tape and a mop. (laughs) (laughs) But, and incidentally, I just want to mention, um, for the sake of the podcast, uh, the prison ministry that I work with is called Behind the Walls. And uh, it is a really, really great ministry, uh, the Behind the Walls prison ministry. And if you go to BehindTheWalls.com, you can learn more about it. It's a great opportunity to actually, uh, in a very practical way, uh, have an impact in the lives of people uh, who find themselves in that very unfortunate situation. And it seems a little odd that I we would be bringing comedy into that situation, but they are desperate (laughs) for something that will make them laugh and that is entertaining and uplifting. And of course, when I go and do a program there, I'm not only wanting to bring in just, you know, something fun and entertaining, but then we also tie in, uh, you know, an important message. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and give people who come in as volunteers also the opportunity to connect um, with inmates and to have a positive impact on their lives. And the person who's the, the presenter really is just setting the table so that uh, the volunteers who have come in uh, will have a more natural way of connecting with the people that they've come to um, come to encourage. So, now, how did you get uh, started with that, with the behind the walls? Years ago, I was with a friend who was, uh, he, he, handled bath does basketballs like spins basketballs and mm-hmm. uh, uh the crevier family uh i don't know if you've ever heard of them bruce bruce crevier and uh in his family and then his he has a sister named tanya who's been working with this ministry for years and he asked me if i'd ever done anything in prison and of course my initial response was oh yeah right you know this lily white guy from the suburbs <laughs> with puppets you know they're going to eat me alive uh in prison but uh, what I found is that the guys in prison are just really wanting to have people come and provide something positive and uplifting for them. And yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, does do puppets go over well in prison? Well, to my surprise, yes. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Do you find that you're you're changing any of the uh, the insult comedy? Well, I actually okay. So this this is going to sound like really you really do that, and does that work? But I actually one of the characters, I I dress in white black and white stripes. So he he be, he's an inmate. So now he can uh, sort of connect with, <laughs> with the guys there, and of course complain about you know the accommodations. Uh, you know, well they gave you a cell, they gave me a suitcase. Uh, so. And then, of course, he talks about how he got locked up and how unfair that was and, you know, how he's been treated, you know, unfairly by uh, by the law and this sort of thing. And, of course, I'm the one that's like, oh, come on. It wasn't really that bad. And, oh, yes, it was. You know, so there's that kind of dialogue. Um, and I find that, yeah, at first I was concerned. I was thinking, you know, well, these guys are going to think that I'm, like, making fun of them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I, I'm I'm – I just have a character that is actually connecting with them and he interacts with them uh, and, and, you know, kind of talks the lingo a little bit. So 
I did this after doing, after performing in prison for several years. Like I finally thought, okay, I think I can pull this off and do this with enough finesse that, yeah. that it will work. So it took some time for me to not only build the confidence, but also feel like that um, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. And I think there's, you know, I, I've done a, a few prison shows as well. And um, I think there's a, an understanding, like they understand where they are. They, you know, like it's, it's all, you know, like you can say it, there's no big secret. And um, like I had, I had one thing where I, I made some sort of like, or whatever, and somebody whistled and I go, uh, sir, that just proves to me you've been in here far too long. <laughs> and like, you know, it just got this exactly. huge laugh. But, exactly. you know, it's something that I was like, oh, after I said it, I was like, oh, should I have said that? But it got a huge laugh. But it's just because it's like we're all acknowledging the truth that's, of, that's of exactly right. the scenario. Yeah. So. You get it. You know it. And, uh, and, I'm, it. and I'm sure for you, you like what was the first time or when was the first time that you did that? And uh, how did that go? And what was that like for you? It was, it was very weird. It was, uh, they were fairly recently, a few years ago. Um, and it was just, uh, a, a very, I was like, oh, this is going to be, you know, again, uh, I don't know. It's not my crowd here that I know of. And, um, you know, I was like, are they going to like this stuff? Do they even have TV? Do they even know these cartoons? Do they, you know, all these, all these things that run through your head and then you go in and you just, you know, they're there to, they're there to have a good time and, and, and to laugh and, um, you know, I, I think you see a lot of things on TV where it's just like it's that no, they're human beings and they're you know, um, exactly right. You know, and and you just you, you treat them as such. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the important thing is as you just go in and you just this is the truth and you know you speak your truth and what you're you're trying to convey and um and it, it went it went well. I mean, not every joke hit. Uh, but you know, so from a comedian standpoint, you're like, oh, that joke didn't hit or that joke didn't hit. And I'm like, well, uh, but you, you step back and you go, it's not about what they gave to me. It's like what I can give to them That's right. um, and, and do that. And so when you see the, the end product and they're all excited to be with you and, you know, take a picture and all that sort of stuff, you go, okay, then yeah, that worked out. That worked out well. It was a good show. So it was, it was definitely very different and it's something that I, I don't do a ton of, but you know, um, I would like to do more and get a little more comfortable doing that and just, uh, but it was, they were definitely interesting shows. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a behind the walls event that happens in Fresno every year. And uh, so, you know, that's out your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, California is a big state. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not exactly close to you, but it's a lot closer than Indiana, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is where I am. Uh, so when that rolls around, I'm going to see if I can maybe, um, make a connection there. It would be yeah, really, I would love that. really fun to have you join us. Yeah, I would love that. And it's uh, behind the walls, uh, prison ministry. Uh, they can be found at www.behindthewalls.com. And one more time, what do they, they, they do? Um, yeah, so it's, it's an outreach, uh, to inmates, but really it's more of a training opportunity for people, uh, to have a cross-cultural experience uh, in a very different environment uh, because it's not just performers that they bring in. Actually, the performers are just a small part of it. Uh, it really is helping the team, what we call teammates, the volunteers who've come in, make a, uh, a better connection 
uh, because it's very awkward to walk into a prison and think that you can just walk up to somebody and strike up a conversation. Right. But if you sit down and watch a presentation together, well, now you can turn to the, hey, what'd you think of that? Wasn't that fun? Yeah, that yeah. was cool, wasn't it? And, and then, and then it, the connection happens. Yeah. So It's just a bridge to... That's right. That's right. So, so there's something there for everybody uh, to be involved with that. And specifically, they're wanting to bring the gospel to, mm. these, uh, to these inmates. And so, Excellent. That's a, a, a wonderful uh, ministry. So again, Behind the Walls Prison Ministry, yeah. uh, www.behindthewalls.com. Definitely check that out. And wow, we are flying through this, David. I had so many questions I didn't even get to yet. I know. Uh, uh, so we'll do a couple more because uh, usually we end up we end with the uh, the the charity uh, aspect of it, the organization. But uh, let's do a couple more questions and then we'll we'll get you out of here. Okay. Uh, if that's cool. Um, so doing the um, developing the act of uh, straight man, funny man. Did you watch a lot of comedy duos? Uh, yeah, Laurel yeah. and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, that sort of stuff, or Mothers yeah, Brothers. Absolutely, and and to see what works, and and pretty much you do learn that you know it's the formula it, that works is the straight man, and and um, and and funny man, <laughs> yeah. that um, that just works, and um, although you know you had Burns and Allen, who you know genuinely were both of them were very funny. But still, it was, it was more George Burns and how he was reacting to Gracie, right? Uh, that you know that really brought the comedy. Of course, Gracie just had her personality uh, that was brilliant. So yeah, you just watch that interchange between you know those kinds of comedy duos. But then yeah, I, I watch other comedian, uh, other ventriloquists, and you know what. <clears throat> Here's the thing. I, I actually, I still do what I would call standard ventriloquist routines that mm -hmm. other ventriloquists have done over the years. Mostly I'm doing these bits that the guys who perhaps originated them are dead. <laughs> right. So, so I don't feel like I'm, you know, stealing material per se as much as i'm covering gotcha <laughs> you know what i'm saying now that could be i suppose that could sound a little bit like an excuse but funny is just funny and right. frankly there's a whole generation of people who've never seen some of this stuff like you know edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy had really great funny material and uh you can go on youtube and look it up and find it but you know, I can cover some of that material and for some people or for many, many people, it's, they've never seen it before. Right. And, and it's still, it still works. It's that timeless. That well, not, I think that kind of ties in what, like we were saying about magicians. I was going to ask you, is that something, um, using some of the same material, is that necessarily frowned upon or is it kind of like a, you know, like you said, it's kind of an time honoring tradition where comedians will do the same routines from previous generations. Yeah. Um, it all depends on who you talk to. I gotcha. Mean, you know, there are mostly comedians are the ones that have a real strong sense of, you know, I don't want to be a hack. Right. And, um, you know, stealing material and I, I need to be, you know, 
totally above board on all that. And I get that. Like, I'm not trying to make excuses for it. I, I understand mm -hmm. that. But I suppose I'm also of the persuasion that, you know, I don't, I don't mind doing street jokes in my act. Right. In other words, a joke that is just, it's a joke. It's a street, you, what we in the comedy world call a street joke is basically a, a joke that's been around that, you know, people have told and retold, you know, hundreds of times. <clears throat> but it's not so much the material at that point, right? It's it's how you do it, right? It's how you cover it, and um, and that's part of the what makes it fun. Well, and I think the the one different uh, thing that differentiates it for me, anyway, is as a comedian, you don't have any other quote unquote skills. You know what I mean? As an entertainer, your it's your jokes and your words, so. Right that should be, you know, you, yeah. whereas a ventriloquist or a magician, you have the skill and it's, it's not, you're not a comedian, you're a ventriloquist, which is a, a completely different skill set, like an entertainer. Um, and I, you know, there are people, uh, I, I know some comics who, who will break out a guitar and do some more old vaudevillian style of jokes and people go, yeah. Oh, he's a hack. And he, uh, a hack is just, a, a term for like a thief or you know uh doing material that's been done forever and uh and it's like well he's not i go i, I don't consider him a comic i consider him an entertainer like to me there's a, a difference to that where and it's like there's and there's plenty of room for that yeah that's that's exactly right and and i would make that argument very strongly uh, but of course if you're talking to comedy purists uh they have a very narrow perspective <laughs> of what they think is legitimate and, um, but, you know, a guy like Jeff Dunham, for example, and, you know, for those that don't know, Jeff is probably the most famous ventriloquist perhaps now in history, mm. probably eclipsed even guys like Edgar Bergen, even back in the day. But, uh, Jeff is very much <clears throat> more, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> more that stand up comedy kind of, um, emphasis. Mm -hmm. And, and he would probably argue, and that's why I went as far as I did. Uh, I don't, you know, he would probably say, I don't think that I would be as successful, quote unquote, whatever that means. In other words, be as famous and um, uh, have the opportunities that he's had if he had stuck with doing a more traditional ventriloquist act. And, you know, he would tell you, I, I'm not doing a ventriloquist act. I'm doing comedy using ventriloquism. Right. Uh, and, and these are nuanced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all very nuanced. Uh, but it is true that there's a bit of a difference in presentation in how uh, a stand-up comedian or, you know, a comic would would develop his act as compared to uh, somebody who is more the entertainer. Like, I use musical elements in my show. Mm -hmm. There are elements in my show that are not designed to be laughs you know, what the stand-up comedian would say, you know, I'm working to get maximum laughs per minute. Uh, no, I, I want, I'm working on maximum smiles. <laughs> right. <laughs> per minute. Uh, and just general entertainment that, you know, is engaging. So it's a little different standard. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's all within your personality and what, what your, your goals are. And, and there's like, I always say there's room for everybody and yes. you know, it's, yeah. I, I don't understand. I, I mean, I used to be that guy back in the day that was like, Oh, it has to be this. And then 
you know, you mature and you grow up and you go, oh, no, it doesn't need to be that. And why can't you just let someone enjoy this? Why can't you, you know, as long as you're not, you know, uh, doing something uh, malicious with, you know, by taking somebody's yeah. act or if you took their their puppet or that, you know, yeah. their character or whatever, like then then that's a little, you know, different. But um, just doing because all the premises have been done. Yeah. You know, in comedy, you know, people go, oh, you can't talk about marriage. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. OK, right. what is there left? What's left? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's finding, uh, you know, your spin on it and um, and just putting, you know, your essence and the characters that you have uh, within it. And it's still just a, a skill that uh, not a lot of people can do and do well. So, yeah. yeah. So, um yeah, wow, this really just flew by. I've got so many other questions to get to. We'll have to have you come back on uh, some other time, and we'll we'll do some more. Brian, I always enjoy visiting with you, and uh, I'm I'm a huge fan. So, oh, likewise, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, uh, again, you can check out David Pendleton. Um, you can check him out at uh, www.anythingcantalk.com. Um, you can check him out on YouTube at youtube.com/slash/anythingcantalk. Uh, check out his uh, the the prison ministry behind the walls prison ministry i can't speak uh at behind the walls.com and uh i want to send a, a thank you to jd our producer for for helping us out today i want to thank david for for taking his time and uh you can check us out if you're interested again facebook uh uncommoncomedy.com instagram at uncommon comedy tour doc uh uncommon comedy tour and uh, on youtube uncommon comedy podcast and uh, again, David, thank you so much for, for taking some time today and, and spending it with us and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.